Charles Eisenstein consistently delivers a vision of the future. He called this vision, the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. And this vision of the future is really what we could call hope. And part of that vision of the future that both he and I share is the belief that Robert F. Kennedy Jr., supported by the movement emerging naturally from within all of us, can be a pivotal part of creating this more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. So in this podcast, we talk about how that vision might come to fruition. We talk about Bobby Kennedy as we've gotten to know him. And we also talk about aliens and the potential alien disclosure, which Charles believes might be emergent from our own field of consciousness, just as the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible, will be emergent from the transformation of our consciousness. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast with one of my favorite humans on the planet, Charles Eisenstein. But before we get started, a word from our sponsors. First up, we have Mudwater. Now, Mudwater is one of my favorite products that are out there in the health and wellness better for you space. It's a coffee alternative. It has four adaptogenic mushrooms. It has cacao, Ayurvedic herbs, and it's really a coffee alternative. It has a fraction of the caffeine of a cup of coffee, but I do like a little bit of caffeine, and Mudwater just hits that sweet spot. It doesn't have a bunch of sugar or anything in there, so if you want to add your own sweetener, you're welcome to, or if you're mixing it in a shake or a warm morning drink like I often do, it's just really a kind of a perfect product, and it's no surprise that Mudwater has done so well as a company because it's just phenomenal, and phenomenal all the way up, all the way down, not only from the quality of ingredients, the flavor profile, and also just the customer service and the ethos of the company itself. I am a huge fan. And again, cacao and chai for mood and a microdose of caffeine. They got lion's mane, which helps with cognitive support and alertness. Cordyceps, which is the flagship ingredient in our product, Shroom Tech Sport from Onnit. It's got chaga and reishi to support your immune system and offer that little bit of calm that comes with the reishi mushroom. Turmeric is also one of those great products for any kind of stiffness or soreness you might be feeling. And cinnamon, which is an ingredient that's very close to my heart, that's also has a bunch of antioxidants and actually in high enough amounts can help with blood sugar regulation. I talk about that a bit in my book, Own the Day. So mud water is just one of those things that if you're curious about a coffee alternative and you like making delicious beverages, whether they're smoothies or hot drinks, I highly recommend it. It's Whole30 approved, 100% USDA organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan, kosher certified. It's got all the goods. So go to mudwater.com slash amp. That's M-U-D-W-T-R.com slash amp. And use the code Aubrey to get 15% off at checkout. Once again, the code Aubrey for 15% at checkout. Next up, we have Helix Sleep. Now, I'm going to admit that I didn't sleep well last night. I slept on a Helix mattress, and it wasn't the mattress's fault. Actually, the way that our lovely kitten, Neytiri, was lying next to my wife, it put her in a position where her mouth was completely agape, and she just couldn't stop snoring. And then I would move the kitten, and the kitten would go right back to where she was in the first place, thus putting Vailana's mouth in a prone position, and she was snoring. So this has nothing to do with the exceptional mattress that is Helix Sleep. 
We ordered it specifically for this room in Miami because we love sleeping on Helix mattresses. You get all of the different choices between what level of firmness and also the way that it arrives. Like it wasn't difficult. Can you imagine getting a mattress delivered to the 11th floor? It's a nightmare, a normal mattress, but not the way that Helix Sleep delivers it. Everything from their packaging to what the mattress is made of is absolute top-notch quality. So for right now, Helix Sleep is offering 20% off your first order as well as two free pillows. So if you're interested, go to helixsleep.com amp and get 20% off plus two free pillows. helixsleep.com amp. Charles, my brother. It's good to see you, man. Hey, Aubrey. Happy to be here again. Yeah. All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell this story and I'm gonna tell a story about um when I called you when I was in Costa Rica because I called you because I just finished recording a podcast with Bobby. And I actually I was absolutely blown away, not only by what he had to say, but how he went about saying what he had to say and how actually precise he was with his language and how it built this level of trust that I had. And also what I felt in my body, you know, I felt something in my body. It was like, I fucking trust this guy. Like, and I don't, I didn't know his whole platform. I didn't know everything, but I just trusted that he was the type of person that would really listen and move with integrity, like forward, genuinely. So I went into my own medicine journey after the, after the podcast. And I just got the clearest picture of he has a chance to win the presidency of the United States. And if so, the world radically changes. And very much like you wrote at the end of The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know Is Possible, paradoxically, he's going to win, but it requires all of our effort to be at the maximum capacity that we have. And that's the paradox. He's going to win. And it requires all of us to give everything we got. So I went out and at the start of that podcast, this was before he even declared when we recorded it, then he declares. And I said, I'm here with the next president of the United States. Everybody's like, no way. He has no chance. And I just heard from my, you know, my good friend who's in PR and likes gambling that he's recently in the last month gone from a 50 to one underdog to a 10 to one underdog. So now my statement is a little less crazy, but where it intersects with you is very quickly after I recorded the podcast, I was like, all right, who are the people that I need to call right away? to see if we can get support. Like, who are the allies that I need to call? I was like, I got to fucking call Charles. And I'm in the middle of an ayahuasca retreat in Sultara, like in between sits. And like, my brains are scrambled. But I'm like, I got to call Charles. And I call you and I'm like, hey man, you know, I'm really, I'm really have this amazing feeling about Bobby as president. I really think like, if you were able to offer your support, it'd be, and you're like, yeah, already doing it. Like, I'm already there. I'm already, I'm already on it. And I was like, oh, thank God. Like it was just this huge moment of relief to know that you had aligned your efforts and intentions. And, and really one of the things about you and people who've heard our podcast before, you've had a consistent prayer to be put to good use. And this is, you know, one of the best causes that I've seen um, that could create the biggest impact. And it was just, uh, there was a, a deep, deep sigh of like gratitude, relief, excitement, enthusiasm, just knowing that you had, you know, put your, put your efforts behind his campaign and that you felt aligned with some of these things that I believed. And since that conversation, it's only your role 
advising him and messaging and communication and, and all that you have to offer has only expanded. So that brings us to, you know, part of the reason why we're here is to talk about, all right, like how does this presidential, you know, campaign, even if it's just a campaign, just entering into the conversation or potential victory contribute to that more beautiful world our hearts know is possible? Like, what is this? How do you see this playing out in, in all of those different ways? And, and what does that world look like in a, you know, Bobby Kennedy as president? Yeah. <clears throat> I, I think you actually hit on a key point when you said, when you mentioned the paradox that he's going to be president. And that doesn't mean that we can sit back and let it happen. Yeah. Because the impact, the, the change that, that his presidency represents co-resonates with an evolution of um, society mm. and of our consciousness. It means it's not, you know, not going to happen outside of ourselves. Right. And I don't want to like make it into, you know, make him into some, some heroic figure. It's actually a bit of the opposite. It's that the field from which someone like him could even be elected has to change. Mm-hmm. It, it, the, the, the existing political atmosphere of this country is not conducive to somebody with actual integrity who's actually authentic. Uh, and like a lot of the things you said, um, like a good listener. Yeah. Um, and someone who just, you know, doesn't want to posture and, and doesn't try to figure out what people want to hear and then say that Mm. he doesn't do politics as normal. Right. So for him to be successful, not doing politics as normal means that people are going to have to respond to that, Mm -hmm. uh, rather than responding in the way that they have been trained to respond to ordinary politicians who emit a constant stream of lies that no one even believes. But it's like this signal of, oh, serious politician. Like, yeah. it's all about signals right. and, and uh, spin, mm-hmm. you know, and messaging. You know, like, what about actually communicating what you actually <laughs> think, you know? Right. And so sometimes I, I advise them, I'm like, just put everything on the table. Like everything that you're supposed to do as a politician, think through that again. Like, for example, you're supposed to have a plan. You're supposed to have the answers. But wouldn't it be refreshing for a politician to say, you know, I really don't know what to do about healthcare. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, some people say this, some people say that. It's a complex puzzle. So Yeah, and there's conflicting values here. You know, gun control, abortion, like whatever the issue is. Like, what if you actually don't know? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people don't know. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know what to do about some of these issues. Right. So maybe the first, maybe if you already think that you know, that's actually a liability. Mm-hmm. That's actually a, an impediment to, to thinking outside the box and, yeah. and sourcing something that, that, that is outside the existing terms of debate. It's almost like an I don't know, not from ignorance, but an I don't know from humility and respect for the complexity of these multifaceted issues, right? It's yeah. to say like, 
I don't know, but I'm going to listen as best I can to everybody in the field. I mean, this is the, this is the nature of the archetype of a good king. What's the archetype of a good king? The one who listens to the people and really, really listens and listens to the best advisors and is able to sort out the advisors who have their own, you know, gains and agendas and plans that they want. I mean, we've seen that in all of the Disney movies and everybody. There's the the bad advisor that just wants power, wants this manipulation or that, and be able to sort those out. And like, who are the genuine people who are really helping you think through these complicated issues? Which is why when anybody, anybody asks me about, well, you know, I don't know if I agree with Bobby on, on climate or that. I was like, I mean, there's a lot of issues I don't agree with him on. Exactly. You know, just because I'm on, on the campaign doesn't mean that I agree with him about everything. And the, but the thing is, yeah. is like agreeing with him, even in itself is almost a false proposition because what I'm agreeing with is I'm agreeing with a man who's willing to evolve his opinion. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like, I'm where he stands now. It may be this way. He may be thinking about things this way, but surely he's going to be surrounded by people who are even smarter and wiser and, and listen to more people as his audience and platform grows. So he's in the evolution of, of thought and understanding. And that's what I believe in. And that's what I agree with. Yeah. It may turn out in the end that there's like, eh, I would have gone this way and he would have gone this way. And I, but I would trust him to be able to sit around the table like he's going to do tomorrow and be like, yeah, Aubrey, I see your point, man. And like, this is, this is a way I see it, but like, I respect your opinion. And but this is the way I think is best. And I'd be like, all right, I see that too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he doesn't surround himself with sycophants and yes men, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so like, it actually encourages me that he values my advice, even though we don't agree on certain issues. Yep. And there are others in the, in the close circle that are, that are similar. You know, and yeah, you know, maybe someday an issue will come up that's so important to me that I have to part ways. That could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not that that the issues are irrelevant, right? But our society is facing changes that are so profound that they don't fit into the categories of the issues, and we're going to need somebody who can enter into that. I call it the fertile ground of bewilderment. Mm. Um, and and not too quickly default to a simplistic solution that comes from old reflexes. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we are in for quite a roller coaster ride. We're starting yes. to see signs of it. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. just it's just <laughs> ramping up. I mean, that's for sure. And and so, what do you rely on in the in the field of bewilderment? You rely on values, right? Like values and first principles. Really, are like to me in my mind is what forms a foundation, which is like honesty, integrity, you know, like care, you know, love, you know, like those values are the things that are, that are actually going to be the only things that are clear in when everything gets foggy and you're lost in the wilderness. Like, what do you come back to? If I'm in a psychedelic journey and I'm in a fucking crazy place where everything up is down and left is right and light is dark and dark is light and I'm confused. I go back to the pillar of like, all right, I just have to love my way out of this. I just have to love my way out of this. Love whatever I can love. And I'll love my way out of this mess. So it's like, it pushes me back to like the core values. And that's, I think, something we've never seen in politics is someone who is, who is 
like value driven, like bound by values rather than issues and ideologies and reflexes. And, and I, I, I see that in him. I see him as like a, a person of a man of value. I, you know, he's a man who's had humbling experiences in his life, uh, tragedies and, yeah. and, and that I think, um, have convinced him that he's no better than any other man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people like the values you mentioned, pretty much everybody says that they have those values. So if, I, I think it's not so much a matter of, of principle, but rather the life experiences that have driven those principles into your cells. Right. Asnosis, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I, again, like, yeah, I see, I got asked, okay, here, here's a question that I got asked by, by one of my readers. They're like, Charles, you know, so many idealistic people, they step into the political world and they are corrupted. They mm. become a creature of the system that they entered in order to change. What makes you think you're so different? Mm. And I said, I'm not different. <laughs> and if I am able to go into that world and not become a creature of that world, it will be because of the lifeline that connects me to uh, a bigger world, a realer world. And the people who hold me in a bigger story than the one that the world of politics and power offers. Right. Because that, you know, the, the world of politics and power and money, that it's very, very intoxicating. You know, mm-hmm. it, it has its own logic. It has its own vocabulary. It has its own set of perceptions. And you enter into that world without even realizing it, you start to take it on. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so important to have, so like psychedelic, you've been mentioning psychedelics, you know, mm-hmm. that's one lifeline to connect to a bigger reality. Yeah. To stay honest. But it's also other people. Yeah, you know? for sure. Because a reality is held by a group. It's just human nature like every time I, 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 I do public speaking, and maybe even to some extent in this conversation right now, I'm not just transmitting information. In everything I say, there is always a question. The question is, right? Mm-hmm. Am I crazy here? Do you resonate with this? Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I look at your face. Mm-hmm. I, I sense the energy in the room. I hear the laughter or the tears. And, and that helps me more deeply inhabit and receive the field of information that I am speaking from. Yeah. Like it's cause, cause the very definition of insanity is to hold a reality that's different from everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm hearing voices, you know, I'm seeing things like, mm-hmm. like how do I know what's real? Mm-hmm. I turned to my brother. Did you see that? Yep. Have you thought that? And so that's, that's what I do in my, uh, my, my, job that I had before, before this, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm keeping that thread alive also, uh, in order that I can actually stay sane and not become a creature of the system that I'm entering to change. Right. So it's, so this, and this is, and I think that if I have a strong enough tether to a bigger reality, then instead of becoming its creature, it will migrate over into the consciousness 
and into the mythology, into the story that we on the margins have been preparing for a long time. And that is arising in humanity, not just, you know, people in the, in the psychedelic world or the, the consciousness world, but it's actually creeping in everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and like you can have easily a situation where every single person on the campaign has experienced psychedelics and, and, these, and other technologies of consciousness. Yet, when they are in the logic of a political campaign, it's like they forget about all that. Right. Like that can happen to anybody. Right. You know, it's not like I'm the only guy coming in there <clears throat> from a different worldview. Right. You know, it, it's, it's, so it requires, in, in order not to default into political thinking as it has been um, conceived in the past, it requires an effort of will. Mm-hmm. It requires, that's one ingredient. And the other ingredient is a community, you know, and, and help. So I'm like, yeah, I'm not different. I need help. Mm-hmm. And thank you for being part of the, of the community that will help me stay sane. Yeah. No, that's a beautiful point. I mean, there's, what are the, what are the things that hold us accountable to our, to our highest timeline and our path? You know, like what are the, what are the things? Well, psychedelic medicine is one of those things because I get on the mat and ayahuasca ruthlessly shows me every little way that I've been a dick to anybody in the slightest way by not responding and just to somebody's inquiry or forgetting about this one thing or it's just meticulous, you know, mm-hmm. showing me. And then I come out of it and I have a list of to-dos that hopefully gets shorter and shorter and has as my life has gone on because it's training me in deeper awareness, deeper levels of kindness. So that's one tool. Community is another, having real peers. And the danger of somebody being in power is they create a field of distortion around them where people are afraid to be honest with them. But you have to find those ways and those friends that are really comfortable and safe enough to know that they can say whatever and they're not going to be kicked out of the circle or they're not going to be outcast from your kingdom, so to speak. Even if you have, you may have a great kingdom, so people want to stay in, but just that you, that you know, they trust that they can share whatever they feel and you can share with them. Like that's essential. And then some connection to a higher power, whether that's just capital and nature, you know, like in the, in the natural world, I heard a amazing story from, um, one of Bobby's sons from Finn, about one of his like favorite moments of his dad. And his dad was up in his, up in his study, up in his library and he was laying down on the couch and he was, uh, apparently he's not like the, the most, you know, the strongest technophile, you know, he doesn't have, but he has one app that he really loves. It's like iNature where you can take pictures of, you know, different insects and creatures and then catalog them. And then mm-hmm. he keeps score of how many creatures that you've seen by like going on walks and hikes. And he was just cracking up laughing because it's a community in there. And somebody was trying to say that, that this picture they had was a green beetle. And Bobby was like, clearly that's not a green beetle. That's a this and this beetle. Mm-hmm. And he's just cracking up and he brings his son in to show him. And, and it was just, it was so endearing. It's such a simple little story, but it shows like it's somebody who actually is connected to the field, connected to the field of the environment, connected to the field of all life, like different life forms, even the little beetles. He's paying enough attention and, and attention is like, it's care. It's like they matter. 
You know, like I really feel like he would be bummed out if the green beetle didn't exist, even though it's just a beetle, let alone all the magnificent yeah. creatures that everybody cares about. But he's like, it's those things where it feels like he's connected to a, a higher source. And he's comfortable calling that source God. I am as well. Of course, we each have to require our own redefinition based on thousands of years of church dogma, but God or a higher power source or nature. And I think those three things are, are really necessary to kind of help you manage the, the perils and pitfalls and seduction of power. And it, to me, it, you know, it feels like he has an environment around him and a, and a and nature about him that checks all three of those boxes. Like he's willing to be friends. He's willing to have brothers who can, and brothers that'll tell him what, tell him the truth. He's, you know, connected to, he, he may not have, he doesn't have the psychedelic connection, but he's connected to that high, you know, that higher power. And I think, you know, without, even without the psychedelic connection, there's a kind of almost self-analysis and almost like ability for him to like, look and see like, did I do this? Did I do this according to my own ethics and code? And he just uses his own, you know, meditative contemplative practice. You know, I, you know, I prefer to use psychedelic methodologies, but he's been on a different path and a different program, but it's beautiful. But it's like the self-review, the community review, and then the higher power that you have some kind of access to. And, uh, and that, I think, is why I believe that he won't be corrupted by power and he won't be seduced into being something that we've seen over and over again. It's just that he's, mm -hmm. got, the, he's got the ballast. He's got the, the protection. Yeah, you know, it's not all or nothing being corrupted by power. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can say that that you and I are both corrupted by power. Sure. On a more subtle, like on a subtle level, or maybe not so subtle. Um, but it, it's like part of the corruption of power is our perception of who and what is important and who and what is not. So in the political world, you know, the, the, the pressure to conform to conventional views of power and importance is almost irresistible. Mm -hmm. You know, like somebody has a million followers. Well, they're important. Someone has a billion dollars. Well, they're important because they're going to yeah. bring people to my campaign. They're going to bring money to my campaign. They can do this for me. Whereas a typical voter uh, who might be, you know, an Uber driver or a daycare worker or a home health care worker who makes $12 an hour and has, you know, very small following on social media, they're not considered important. And on a spiritual level, we maybe understand the importance of everybody. Yeah. And, and that, and, and intuitively sense another matrix of causality that does not depend on the things that we see conventionally as important and powerful. Mm -hmm. But but to bridge that knowledge into the political realm is very difficult. Yeah. And it requires, when, when, when the mind is very much steeped in that understanding of cause and effect of power, in order to do something else, you have to listen to something besides the mind. Mm -hmm. You have to listen to your instincts. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to listen to your gut. And I've seen him do that um, sometimes, mm -hmm. and maybe not others, you know. Uh, and, and I mean, I noticed myself too, like, 
Sure. You know, like if I'm invited onto your podcast, which has, I don't know how many viewers, but a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, or somebody who's just, hey, I'm just starting a new podcast, you know, I have 50 50 downloads, you know. (laughs) Right. I'm like, you know, I'm probably (laughs) like, honestly, you know, I'm probably going to be on yours. Yeah. Um, Although sometimes I just get this feeling. Yeah. um, And I just don't care. Right. How many followers you have. You know, and honestly, I'm not really on this because you have a lot of followers. You know, we have a yeah, a, you know, friendship. No, yeah. I, I think that's a beautiful point, yeah. and it's important. I think the part of the resistance to seduction by power is to acknowledge the seduction of power that's already ex- in existence. And and I, yeah. that wasn't intuitive to think about it, but of course, and of also course the it's falsity, right. the falsity of the logic of power, mm-hmm. because it is not actually true, and and. People do extraordinary things by trusting their instincts. Yeah. And they follow this path that you could not possibly map out in advance. And it just turns out that this person who looked like, you know, an inconsequential daycare worker turns out to be connected to just the person you had to meet, you know, and Mm -hmm. you you walk this invisible path Mm -hmm. to achieve things that are beyond the capacity of a plan. Yeah. Because a plan depends on what you can predict. It depends on what we what you already know about how the world works. And one thing that we're learning in these times is that, I mean, this, this you know, it's coming up in a lot of ways. I was, gonna, I was thinking of the whole UFO thing, you know, what, what we're learning. Oh, we'll get to that. Yeah. I mean, what we're learning is that there's an awful lot more to reality than we've been told. Sure. And that we've, more than we've been telling ourselves. And there's, I mean, you can't live in a world where you've seen synchronicities and coincidences, quote, so many times. And this is, you know, one of the topics that you love talking about, you know, going to a festival is like a going to a synchronicity machine, basically, where you're opening yourself to the universe, Burning Man or something like that, where you don't know who anybody is and you're in the dust and you just bump into somebody and it's like, holy shit. And this connection happens. It's where I met my wife through a series of crazy coincidences that she happened to be in my camp and all kinds of wild things happen. And, and so it's both using strategy and having a plan and, and acknowledging that that's necessary. And also listening for the whisper, the whisper that comes from an intuition that I listen to, you know, when I'm looking at my DMs on Instagram, you know, like yeah. lots of people say like, I know you'll never respond to this, but blah, blah, blah. And a lot of times they're right. But every once in a while, there'll be that one person where I'll write them 300 words or something mm-hmm. in, re- in response. Yeah, and I do like that carry too. carry on a yeah. dialogue and they'll be like, wow. And, and I don't know why. It's just like that maybe it was something I felt. And same with, same with other people in other situations, you know, where usually it's like, uh, you know, someone tries to talk to me on a plane and I'll be like, right. I got to, you know, get into this thing. And then sometimes I'll just I'll have this feeling. And, uh, and it doesn't always pan out into something that I notice, but I'm always trying to listen to that. And I think that's, I think that's kind of the best we can do is, is to yeah. have our plan and have our prioritization and have our, because we have to be able to utilize our time, which is in scarcity to, to somewhat. You can expand yeah. and contract it slightly based on your energy, attention, focus, et cetera. But time is, time is marching on. Yeah, it's not about not having a plan. You know, yeah. not, I mean, sometimes your, your, your intuition says, make a plan and execute it. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's, it's, just, it's just like, if you get addicted to a plan and 
when your instinct tells you now is the time to let go, but you're uncomfortable with that. So you make a plan anyway and follow the plan and it becomes an obstacle to walking the invisible path. Yeah. Then that habit becomes an impediment. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. There's a, you know, I, I can just imagine that there'll be those choices that'll come up in the campaign. It'll be like, all right, go to this city, you know, cause this is the highest concentration of voters. And right. he'll have a feeling like, you know, I want to go to the res in South Dakota. Like, I just, I want to go there, you know, and he'll hear a whisper or something. I'm just making this up. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like, not a lot of politicians are spending a lot of time on the res because they're not a lot of high concentration of voters in the Dakotas, right? Right. But maybe he'll just have that like, nah, instead of, instead of New York, like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go here. Yeah. And I believe he's like, I just believe that about him. You know, I, it's the same thing about the green beetle. Like most people just care about like, oh, I saw the, the eagle or the tiger or the, like, but he's, he's interested in, in like the complexity and, and the dynamics of life, just like his father was, you know, I mean, I think there was a beautiful video that was just put out, just showed his father doing something similar, like really being of the people, of all people, you know? Yeah, you know, I mean, there definitely is that, that, um, that part of him, you know, that, that does that. And, you know, then there's, you know, he's also, um, you know, a person of this world and, and of his time. Sure. You know, and and very much now, you know, in the um, world of electoral politics, he's got it. He's got it. He's got it. You know, well, I'm just wondering, like, you know, I mean, I'm just one of the people, you know, who influences him. And while you were talking, I'm like, yeah, I'd really like to, to like, help and support him do more of that. You know, listen to that more. Well, how can I do that when there's so many other voices and so many other, other pressures, you know, and his schedule, you know, and this media and that media, and can you do an interview here and interview there and like fundraisers and all that? Like, how am I going to, to bring that? Mm-hmm. And I realized that, that actually I have to do the same thing. Yeah. But then that brings up like, okay, you know, my default sometimes is to hang back, to wait, to be invited, to wait, to be asked, not to speak up, you know, not to assert myself. and. You know, like, is that because, yeah, sometimes it's because it doesn't serve to, to, to push, but sometimes maybe it's because I'm afraid to push, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's one thing that I've been looking at Mm -hmm. in in my work. Um, You know, when do I trust the flow of life that puts me at the right place at the right time. And when do I make shit happen? It, this reminds me of, I don't think we talked about this on a podcast. I think I just read your essay. I like to fight. You know, is that yeah. A, I don't know if we talked about it in the podcast. Or I don't not. think I think we, we did. I think we I just know. talked about it. Yeah. And it just is on a, on a phone yeah. call or something. So you went to sacred sons and you got to put on the boxing gloves and, yeah. and you realized like, you know, there was a fight in you yeah. that, you know, maybe you'd been holding back a little bit. And actually when you got into it, you're just like, yeah, I like to fight. And it, it seems like one of those things, like you said yes to sacred sons and you got to feel the feeling of what sacred combat with brothers who loved each other and were competing in this way to actually make each other better, allow something to emerge. Yeah. A beautiful process. We do it in fit for service with kendo sticks, just so there's no, you know, damage to the head or whatever. So yeah. it's the same idea, right? So, and 
this is, there's a part of this campaign that's, that's a fight. And that's one thing about also about Bobby too, is like, he's a fucking, he's a fighter. He's a fighter. Yeah. You know, he's willing to stand against all of, and take all of the arrows and all of the, all of the shots and have people throwing all the rocks at him. And he's willing to, to stand and fight in this campaign is, is a fight. I mean, everybody, I mean, I've taken them, you know, for coming out and making a stand every time I make a post, you know, there's a volley. Of, oh yeah. There's a volley of arrows and attacks, but also overwhelming support too. I mean, I've been actually, I was expecting more, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, here it comes. It's going to be like, you know, it's going to yep. be like Darius and it's going to be like the, my arrows will blot out the sun or whatever, you know, and I'll, well, we'll fight in the shade, but actually it's been like, oh, it's pretty sunny. Oh, here's an arrow. Yeah. Here's a thing. Yeah. And, and even the, you know, I mean, I was expecting uniform hostility and derision from the mainstream media. And it has not been uniform. Mm-hmm. Like there have been some outlets that, you know, I mean, they interviewed him, they asked tough questions, they played hardball, but they weren't like, like completely scurrilous. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they were at least, they gave him an, a hearing. They said some nice things about him, you know, there, I think that there is like, it's a mistake to see any institution as monolithic, mm-hmm. that kind of us versus them thinking that paints the world in black and white terms and says, well, okay, you know, the CIA, they're evil, you know, the world economic forum, that's evil. Like this whole habit of dividing the world into good and evil mm. is a form of fundamentalism that is at the root of the incredibly destructive polarization that is ripping apart society. Mm-hmm. That habit of how do I understand something divided into the good and the bad? Mm-hmm. That mental habit is tearing our society apart. And I, so I like to hold space for redemption, for transformation. Yeah. You know, to, to like, yeah, somebody, Instead of saying, oh, well, you're a, a shill for big pharma and the defense industry and et cetera, it's, you know, like, and, and to say that is what you are, even in my mind, it basically denies any possibility of transformation. And the, the story that we hold about somebody is powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, you know that as a leader, if you hold a story that somebody can transcend their circumstances that somebody can win a victory, that somebody can, can overcome their illness and you're there for them. Mm-hmm. And when they say, no, I can't do it, you say, no, you can. I've seen it. I know you can. Yeah. That's powerful. Super powerful. A negative story is just as powerful. Right. To say you can't, you're helpless, you'll never, you'll never heal, you'll never transform, you'll never win. And that is what is a normal story to hold about our opponents to hold about whole countries, mm-hmm. you know, and it doesn't mean being blind to the damage that, that people are causing and the, the, the terrible things that they're doing and the negative mo- motivations that they may have, but it's, it's not to limit them. Yeah. It's to not that. to reduce who yeah. they are to the actions that yeah. they, it's to disambiguate the two, yeah. the two things and also see really that the, the place of the unconditionality of love has been something I've been able to like deepen and explore. And it's to see somebody all the way down to the source and see that there's a, there's a light and there's like a static electricity that's moving and it's pushing them. And sometimes it's bending into, you know, darker impulses and, 
there's there's forces that are kind of pulling and pushing us all different ways. And like like a you know one of those Tesla coils that is shooting out just static electricity. Sometimes it's leading towards pretty gnarly things and destruction. And sometimes it's leading towards beauty. But at the core of the Tesla coil, at the nucleus, is the source that we all that mm-hmm. we all carry and we all share. And for whatever reason, the affect of the the way the electricity is going, their personality, their actions is moving in another way. But if you trace it all the way back, you'll trace it back to a core source, and that's that's the source of redemption and this kind of unconditionality of love, as well as the discretion to say, hey, your electricity, your, this, it's destroying a bunch of the environment. It's destroying a bunch of people's sovereignty. You're colonizing human bodies for your own profit and your own greed. Like, that's not cool. But like, there's another way, there's an opportunity for redemption and I see it. And I see that path for you, no matter what you've done and no matter... You know, it's kind of reversing this sunk cost fallacy methodology. Well, I've already been this way. Like, no, it's okay. Like, you can be forgiven and and actually change course and say, like, you know what? I was under a I was under a strange delusion and I caused a lot of harm, and I see that now and shift. And if we don't hold that story about people, it's not possible. Then there's no chance. Yeah, yeah. If we don't hold that story, then the only chance is that good overcomes evil in pitched battle. Yeah. But, you know, evil is better at battle. <laughs> the, yeah. only way, the only way that it changes is if some of whom we considered evil stop doing what they're doing. Yeah. Or they, they stop doing it so efficiently because they have doubts, mm-hmm. you know? And maybe they still go to work in their corporate office, and, and, and they, but they start to go through the motions mm-hmm. instead of to really aggressively Mm-hmm. Uh, develop new, you know, lithium mines. Mm-hmm. You know, they're 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 just not efficient anymore. They're half-hearted in their advocacy of the policies. Maybe they don't have the courage to step out and say, "No, this is wrong." Yeah, but there's something stirring within them—a a, a protest. Even uh, to a certain extent, addiction, depression, mental illness is a form of protest. Mm-hmm. It says it, it, it's it's that you're your being is not unified in its expression. Mm-hmm. Some part of me does not want to do what the rest of me is doing. So that can manifest as procrastination. A lot of what we see as a problem or the illness is actually health seeking to express itself. Yeah. And so I think that that's a much more realistic formula for change that, you know, people have a change of heart. And then... The question is, okay, how do we create conditions for a change of heart? Yeah. One of the things you pointed out, you know, I was obviously a massive fan of Avatar 1. Yeah. And and you actually pointed out, you're like, yeah, but it's it's telling a story that's actually not helpful. And the story is that the animals are going to come together and the people with the bows are going to come together and they're going to defeat the destruction bomb machines. Right. By some act of They're going to defeat the machine guns with their spears, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Like this this romanticized idea of good overcoming evil in pitched battle from sheer, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing, like the warrior spirit and the connection to AWA. There's a lot of beauty in that as well and heroism and romanticism. But I actually saw that and I was like, yeah, you're right. You know, it's actually telling the wrong story. And then I watched Avatar 2. I don't know. Did you see Avatar 2? No, I was uh, forewarned. But they just yeah. fucking doubled down on, right. uh, on that same mentality. And I was like, man, what a miss. Yeah. You know, what a miss. What a miss that they couldn't convince the whalers 
that these beautiful creatures that they were whaling were like were as sentient and magical and important as they yeah. were and like instead they had to they had to sink the ships and slaughter the right slaughter the people like yeah. it's it's just not yeah, the, the film just in, encourages us to think the problem is these horrible people right now what happens when that is applied to foreign policy war war and 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 the the whole machinery and agenda of war that's like the 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 spiritual and philosophical basis for the neocon long game of first destabilizing and destroying Iran, then Russia, then China. I mean, they've, they've, they wrote about these plans 30 years ago and have been executing it step by step, mm-hmm. not with a lot of success, but, you know. That hasn't stopped them from trying. Hasn't stopped them from trying. And, you know, the, it, it, I mean, it could escalate into nuclear conflict. And that, in their, like, I can understand it from their view it's what I just described to understand a situation, first identify who's the evil and who's the good. Once you've started with that, okay, you're always the good, right? You're never evil. Mm-hmm. So it's whoever stands in the way of your domination, they're evil because your domination is good because mm-hmm. you're the good guy. <laughs> so the more power you have, the better for everybody. Yeah. Problem the is everybody guy. thinks they're the good guy. Well, everybody does. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that mindset leads inevitably to polarization. Right. And that mindset it ultimately comes from a faulty view of the human being, mm-hmm. which is in Christianity in the form of original sin, that you are fundamentally evil. It's in biology in the, in the idea of a selfish gene that, you know, at bottom, everybody is just seeking to maximize their reproductive self-interest. It's woven deep into the meta-religion of our time which encompasses what we call religion as well as science. Mm. It's a very deep mindset. It's the mindset of conquest. And so everything we're seeing in, in global affairs today and in domestic politics, this widening division and intensifying polarization all comes from what you might call a spiritual error or a spiritual um, journey that we've taken into separation. Mm-hmm. And so when you ask, like, what, what does a Kennedy administration look like? For it to even happen, or for it to be anything that I would support, it has to tap into this transition into a story where we no longer hold each other in that way. Mm-hmm. It's just what we were talking about, to, to see something else and to be able to stand in that on behalf of our fellows and to receive their holding of us because it, it, it is so uh, insidious. You know, like I, I, I don't know if you've had these moments where, where like <laughs> I look at my, the choices I made in life and it seems like every single one of them was selfish. Maybe I was pretending to be loving and generous and something, but I was actually on some level calculating what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. And, and when, I'm, when I'm in that mindset, it seems so inarguably true. And, and you know, I'm, I'm just like, like, wow, I'm like the, the most evil human being in the world, you know, <laughs> and too cowardly to actually like commit <laughs> acts of murder and mayhem, Yeah, you know, like real psychopaths, you know, 
So I'm like evil and a coward at the same time. And it, and it becomes this totalizing reality mm-hmm. that, that usually it's, it's only when an act of love pierces that. Yeah. And when somebody sees my beauty and my love, then it, then it reminds me. It, it ignites my own knowledge that I too am a divine being. Yeah. That's what we have to do for each other. And I don't think that anything less then this kind of revolution will be enough to motivate and do politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, these, are these, these are these principles, which is also why I was so excited to have you, you know, in the close inner circle with Bobby, because these are the principles that are part of the new story, which is the more beautiful world. The more beautiful world is a new story. It's a new story about a new human and a new humanity. As you know, my teacher, Mark Gaffney, always says, a new story about a new human and yeah. a new humanity. And that's the more that's the more beautiful world, and and the the grasp that you have, and and many of us feel, you know, in our own body and understand in our own way, is so important because it isn't about just politics and these things. It isn't about like, oh, I'm uh, I'm dovish, I'm anti-war. No, it's 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 actually understanding the fundamental cause, like the desire for war, where people are coming from, what they're feeling, where they're where they're not feeling safe what their ideals are, and then actually making decisions based upon a new fundamental set of beliefs. And that has to come in. And as you said, it has to rise. It has to rise as a movement of consciousness. And so it's one of the reasons why people you know, say like, I can't believe you're, you're getting into politics. Don't you know politics doesn't matter? This is all just like a fucking farce. It's all a game. Like it only matters. I'm like, you guys are wildly underestimating what it would be like to have a leader who is telling a narrative of a new story, just like you wildly underestimate the importance of a movie like Avatar if it made a different choice and told a different story. Like telling a different story, you know, from a platform where everybody listens, you know, they can't censor a State of the Union address, you know, and he delivers these speeches that really land and they hit somewhere in some people. That changes the world in and of itself. And that's why even in that reality, in that timeline where he doesn't win, but he gets in there and he's giving speeches and people are listening, like the story is shifting. Yeah. The story is changing. So it's not a binary win-loss. Well, if he doesn't win, we've failed. Every step he takes, every speech that he gives, every message that he transmits from the bigger platforms that he, that he transmits, the better and closer we are to, you know, to this new story that we're all trying to build. You know, I just went on this little fantasy about a, uh, like a totally different kind of State of the Union address, where it's not about economic statistics and uh, policies, but but he's like, I'm going to convey the State of the Union through eight stories <laughs> that I have gathered from ordinary people. Yeah, you know, one of them is uh, a farmer who just went bankrupt in Kansas. Yeah, one of them is uh, a grandmother from Watts whose son. Um, just got beaten up by the police and is in prison. Um, another, like, you know, eight stories like that. Um, one is a, a CEO mm-hmm. of a large company whose daughter just went to rehab for the third time. Yeah. You know, like, like that might convey the actual state of the union better than any statistics or metrics. Yeah. These stories, I mean, the stories are powerful. 
and someone who's living, living as the embodiment of a new story and then sharing the stories is, I think people wildly underestimate the power of that and the power of like power of, because we're really, really, we're all a living, we're all a living story. We're, we're our own hero's tale, you know, of, of like what we've overcome and the challenges that we face and how we've lived and how we've stood. And these stories being conveyed, embodied, you know, really mean, mean a lot, you know, and it means, and yes, there's going to be political decisions and there's going to be bills and there's going to be executive orders and there's going to be all of this stuff, but to have somebody embodying a new story and a new story of hope, because that's one thing you talked about. You wrote another beautiful essay about when kind of hope really died in a certain way oh, when, yeah. when JFK was killed. And I forget the, the title of that essay, but it was like this moment where it was like, oh shit, you know, like the story changed, but this, this could rewrite that story. Yeah. So, so, you know, everything that I'm saying here, I'm, I'm describing the highest possibility of a Kennedy presidency it may be fulfilled 100%. It, he may get elected and fulfill it 50%. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I mean, he's a sovereign being. He might make choices that, that are profoundly disappointing and, and he fulfills it 0%. But I do see the possibility of a radical healing of what, of the the trauma that America suffered on November 22nd, 1963. Yeah. And the reconnection of the present to a past timeline that was truncated mm-hmm. at that moment. Because, you know, 1963, America was at the peak of its power. Something like nearly half of all industrial production in the world was happening in this country. We had limitless wealth. We had some problems, um, but the civil rights movement was underway. Uh, the, the, the women's rights movement was underway. Like we were going to, we were going to fix those problems mm-hmm. and we were going to unwind American militarism. Mm-hmm. You know, JFK wanted to, to, to get out of Vietnam. You know, he wanted to support um, revolutionary movements around the world to throw off the yoke of colonialism. He didn't want to just take over the British Empire. He wanted yeah. to disband it. Yeah. Um, and he wanted to loosen the grip of the military-industrial complex. And all the alphabet agencies, All too. that stuff, you know. And he was assassinated. And that timeline got cut short. We entered Vietnam and the forever wars ever since. And all of, the, all of that money that, and all of that effort and all of that attention that could have gone toward healing our problems was directed toward violence. And the core of our society began rotting out from the inside Mm -hmm. to the point where most people today say that they are worse off than their parents were and even their grandparents. In 1963, that was impossible to conceive. Mm -hmm. Just as it was impossible to conceive that the government would ever lie to us. Mm -hmm. So... JFK got assassinated, and and the root of the poison was that we swallowed the lie that it was a lone gunman, a crazed gunman. Yeah. When you swat, when you accept a lie that deep down you know is a lie, 
it poisons everything. Yeah. And the result is that we now swim in a matrix, in an ocean of lies, mm-hmm. where, where it's not only, um, it's, it's, it's unremarkable. Like no one even bats an eyelid when the government lies to us. It's routine. Even, you know, and in, in this is coming out as like, you know, obviously during the pandemic, you know, both of us were vocal from our own perspective about the things that we saw that we just didn't agree with that didn't make sense to us. You know, things that were said, things that yeah. were, things that were done, things that were, and as every new thing comes out, I just recently yesterday saw something where the, you know, for, maybe former or current FDA administrator was like, yeah, the six feet of social distancing thing, that was completely arbitrary. We just made that shit up. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? And like that should sing around the world and people should be like, how fucking dare they? Yeah. How, but actually we've swallowed so many lies. It's like, yeah, well, whatever. Yeah. You know, that was just another one. And, and as each one of these new things comes out, people are like, eh. You know, it's, it's almost like this complacency and hopelessness that's part of swallowing that lie. Right. It's, it's this, this feeling like it'll never be different. It'll never be better. And that's exactly what that, that force of empire wants. They, wants us, they want us to be disempowered. They want us to be hopeless. They want the lies that they tell not to be mattered and not to rile us up and not to, not to have us go, how fucking dare you? Yeah. You know, like, how dare you? Right. And to say that because they don't, the, the maintenance of the status quo does not actually depend on people believing the lies. Yeah. The lies still work even if nobody believes them. All that is necessary is for it to look like everybody believes them. Mm. It's the emperor's new clothes. Every single person saw that he actually had no clothes and privately considered <laughs> that, that fact, but did not dare speak out because anyone who spoke out would be accused of being a fool. At the very least, I mean, a fool is right. a fool is a euphemism for the things that were lobbed at, yeah. lobbed at us for talking. Yeah, I mean, it would just, yeah, I mean, you know, you speak out on certain things that destroy your career. Right. You know, I mean, this is same thing with UFOs. Like numerous, innumerable scientists and 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 citizens who spoke out, um, whistleblowers, their their careers were destroyed, and the government, you know, said. These, this is a hoax, you know, this is a conspiracy theory, all the while knowing that these reports were genuine. Yeah. So now it's, you know, come out, you know, like credible whistleblowers, you know, Navy reports and stuff like that. But none of these people have been rehabilitated. Yeah. So... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's no, like, there's no, there's no, you know, recompensation for what they've lost or even an acknowledgement like hey sorry about that dishonorable discharge right for that for that report that you shared because and and the reputations the reputations of people who questioned iraqi weapons of mass destruction who questioned covid lockdowns who questioned ufos whatever it is when they are proven right their reputation does not recover right they still carry the air of disrepute because what they proved is that they are not a team player. Mm-hmm. They, they proved that they're different. They're the weird kid. So the people who, who stay in positions of power are the ones who propagated the lies. Yeah. They still have the, the credibility 
And again, it's like not that they actually have credibility. Nobody actually respects the talking heads on CNN. Not in the way like when I was a kid, mm-hmm. like we respected Walter Cronkite. Yeah. You know, like he had real credibility, maybe not deservedly, but people actually trusted him. Not anymore. Yeah. The, and this is like the, the, the public participation in the pretense that allows the pretense to be maintained. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the UFOs and we wanted to get there anyway. So we might as well take, we might as well take that, take that and discuss it. Because again, I was talking to, you know, my good friend who runs a PR agency is always looking at media news. And actually he, you know, he wasn't by any stretch of the imagination an anti-vaxxer, but he understands how policy is, you know, put through media when it's bullshit. And he just, he has a sense for yeah. that. He has a sense for spin. He has a sense for when they actually don't have the facts to back it up. And so he saw how, how it was actually being disseminated. And he's like, I don't know anything about the science. I don't know anything about mRNA. And actually, I think, you know, everything, I, everything I've known says vaccines are great. However, he could sense that there was some bullshit in the, in the matrix. And so he, you know, he steered clear of it and is grateful that he did just because he had that, uh-huh. you know, he had that sense. And what he was saying to me yesterday, interestingly, is that what he's tracking in the media is that there's a preparation that's happening. And what he's feeling is like, there's a preparation for disclosure, that actually things are coming out softly and in a way that's just kind of warming up the field for an imminent disclosure, like a proper full-on disclosure acknowledgement, but in a way where it's not going to be so shocking and surprising anymore because they've kind of They've kind of actually warmed the field up. Yeah, I don't think it's that deliberate. I think there's something very mysterious going on here. Uh-huh. Our UFOs had to be on the sidelines of reality for a long time because as a society, we had not yet come to a place where we could accept this, this extreme disruption of our, of our dominant paradigms. The, the, the behavior of UFOs simply does not fit into standard physics. Mm-hmm. And, and also the, the, um, the, the loss of our idea of our own primacy. We were not ready for that. Mm-hmm. So they had to stay in the realm of fiction and, and you know, there's, you can't really fully understand the UFO phenomenon if you're too attached to objective reality. The, the, the rational mind would like to think that independent of our beliefs and perceptions, there's a fact of the matter. Either that UFO landed and, you know, abducted that person at point X, comma, Y, comma, Z on the map at time T, or it did not. Either there is a secret program to reverse engineer captured alien craft, you know, in the dark ops of the Pentagon, or there isn't. But that objectivist worldview is actually nonsense in quantum mechanics, Mm -hmm. where you say, well, you know, regardless of our measurement of that particle, either it was or it was not at that slit rather than the other slit. <laughs> right. No, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And, right. And, and 
philosophically, we've consigned such weirdness to the microcosm. But it at least suggests another way of looking at things, where the factualness of UFOs is connected to our own consciousness. And that as our consciousness evolves, the ETs become more and more able to penetrate into consensus reality. Mm-hmm. So, and we see this change now, the, the, the percentage of Americans who profess to believe in the extraterrestrial origin of UFOs has gone up considerably in the last five years. It used to be like 40%, you know, five or 10 years ago. And now it's like 60% or something like that. So, so the, the, the field of acceptance, this is not just that more evidence has come in. This is because, and it's not because people are being, in my view, expertly manipulated by a deliberate slow leak of information. Mm-hmm. It's because the, the field of consciousness has come to a point where that information is, is erupting through the cracks. Like people have been whistleblowing and, and, you know, credible people have been speaking out about it for a long time, yeah. but they weren't believed. People weren't ready to believe them or they would believe them, but compartmentalize that belief because their dominant reality was unable to accommodate that information. And we see this all the time. Like you can have a religious experience. You can, you can, you can experience a miracle. You can witness an incredible healing. You can witness it. You can see a UFO. Yep. You know, you can, you can, um, you know, hear Maladoma Somme talk about uh, initiation rituals among the Dagara, you know, and, and, and describe things that, that are so far outside of our conventional beliefs about what's possible that, you know, it's, I mean, it's just, it's jaw dropping and you, tr- you believe him. You don't think he's making it up. Mm-hmm. When when he's so you, you you should listen to the um, audio book, which is him actually telling the story of water and the spirit. It's called, and and in that moment, you know that he is speaking the truth. Mm-hmm. But so even if you haven't had the experience directly, then but many of us have had have had experiences directly that are flagrantly in violation of everything we were told is real. Right. But even secondhand, what do you do with that information? When you go back to work, it just doesn't fit into the, the structures that we live in and into the social structures, into the belief structures. Yeah. So we put it in the margins. Today, those structures are dissolving. Mm-hmm. And that allows this new information to penetrate deeper into the collective mind and deeper into our own minds. And once we accept that reality, Everything changes. Yeah. I want to break in the conversation for a moment to talk about something that's really meaningful to me. Ultimately, you don't have to be a rapturist, as Jamie Wheel would call it, or some kind of doomsday prepper to have a sense that we're entering unprecedented times. And these unprecedented times will demand more from us than we've formerly been called forth to give. There's going to be a demand for us to show up in a way that we've never had to show up before. And the way that you prepare to show up and give something that you didn't even know you had inside yourself is to practice, 
It's how every high-level military operator, how every Navy SEAL prepares to execute at the level they execute. It's how every great athlete prepares to operate and perform. You practice. So how do you practice for dealing with challenging circumstances, dealing with whatever the world has to throw at you, dealing with the hardships and difficulties? Well, this technology has been around for thousands of years. It's been around since tribes developed as part of the human species. And it's through initiation. Initiations that include things like the sweat lodge, where you have to feel what your response is to the heat and the darkness and the thirst. It's how you respond in competition. It's how you respond when you breathe to a place where all of your somatic repressed feelings come to the surface. It's how free you can allow your body to speak through dance and ecstatic dance. It's all of these initiatory practices that actually prepare you to give your best at a time when the world needs it the most. And that's what we're offering in the upcoming Fit for Service program. We have an amazing set of initiations on July 29th weekend. And Waira is going to be there. You might know her from my podcast. She's going to be leading sweat. We'll be delving into sacred competition. We'll be breathing. We'll be dancing. We'll be doing all of the initiatory rituals to help us prepare. And also building that community, the resilience of the community, knowing that our strength comes from the bonds that we create and going through initiations together creates the strongest bonds that you could possibly imagine. So it's a beautiful opportunity to find a squad, a team, a group of people that can help support you in your own individual life mission and also allow you to be called forward to a higher purpose. You know, that understanding of how your song is chapter and verse in the song of the whole cosmos and how without your song and without you able to fully express it, the whole orchestra, the whole symphony would be incomplete. So that's what we're offering with Fit for Service. There's also the most incredible summit of the year always is our Sedona Summit. So you'll get access to that, all of the amazing speakers and musicians and the whole program. But if you're called to this and you're inspired by the messages that Charles and I are sharing and you just have a little trust that there's something more that's inside you that's possible, I encourage you guys to check it out. Go to fitforservice.com and check it out and see if you're called. I look forward to seeing you guys on the inside. I had an interview with Dean Radin and Mm -hmm. he's really spent his life studying the science of magic. Yeah. And he talked about giving a lecture to a group of physicists and it was about magic. Now, collectively, publicly, they all are like, ah, this is all bullshit. You know, this is, this isn't real Newtonian physics all the way. There's nothing that there's no field. There's no, you know, uh, collective, you know, collective consciousness or some Sheldrakean morphic resonance field. It's all bullshit. But then he, you know, privately asked them, okay, so I understand, I understand, I understand your, your official, but in your own life, how many of you have experienced something that defied what this consensus reality is? People got a little shifty and all the hands just started to quietly raise that they'd each experienced something in their life that they couldn't fucking explain. Yeah. 
you know, but the consensus reality was something far different. And I think it speaks to this collective belief field. The only, the only area that I would, I would want to kind of like explore deeper is, is I've had experiences with alien crafts. I've had them mostly on psychedelics. I haven't seen any in, in like sober waking consciousness, any of those experiences, but I was recently in the, um, you know, temple of Osiris and, you know, there was a the there was a guidance from an Egyptian priestess who's saying there's a craft that's going to come, and and we're in the dark of the holy of holies in the temple, and sure enough, this fucking craft comes in my consciousness, and I step inside, and I get given this gift where I'm like able to like my third eye just pops open, and I'm able to see realities into existence. It was a crazy experience, and so those were like this extra dimensional extraterrestrial kind of ET kind of phenomenon, like extra dimensional. Yeah. And that to me is like, is certain. Now where it gets, where the question for me comes is like, all right, did something physical and has something physical been crashing and interacting in places or is it, has it not been physical? Has it just been extra dimensional? And like, what are the, what are the boundary lines that blur between the physical and the extra dimensional? Cause I'm a hundred percent all in on the extra dimensional, extra, you know, conscious beings for sure. I've yeah. been there, seen it, you know, done. End of story. But like, can they actually crash in the desert and make a divot? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. can they, can they like crash in the sand and, and make a divot? And I think it's likely both. That there's that there's both, but there is some kind of ob- objective reality to the physicality of something that could crash and break apart, and you could hold pieces, and somebody in a black suit could come and say, "Give me that fucking piece back," yeah. or you and your family are going to be evaporated. All right. So so okay. So say for sake of argument that a craft crashed and made a divot in the desert, and you know scattered pieces, and and someone picks them up, and the men in black come and take it away. Mm-hmm. How do you know that that actually happened? Somebody told you that it happened. Somebody had an experience that they shared with you. Mm-hmm. That, the, the very fact that that report came to you means that this event is intruding into what you're calling objective reality. Right. Just like what I was saying before, like when I, when I speak, I'm also asking for corroboration. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. That's what makes it real. Right. So, sanity, these, is, these, a group, these, sanity is a group project. Yeah, I remember the, you saying yeah. that in a speech. Yeah. 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 Actually, I wanted to talk about I'm, I'm, I, I launched an uh, online program called The Sanity Project. Cool. That I was, yeah, maybe going to mention. Um, I'll just detour into that. Um, the, the idea being that sanity requires that you pull in all of the information, mm-hmm. not just part of it, and integrate it all. So a lot of people fall into despair when they take in the, the hopelessness of our situation. And it is, in fact, hopeless if you don't incorporate what we're calling miracles. Yeah. There's just no way, including yeah. the miracle of the transformation of the heart, right. the miracle of a change of heart. You know, that's one of the miracles. When, when somebody, they're not forced to change, they're, they, they sacrifice their career, they sacrifice their safety, they sacrifice their reputation out of love. That is a miracle. 
because if you're in the in the mindset of making somebody do something, you will never make them do that. Mm-hmm. Because what does making mean? Mm-hmm. You know, it means you're exerting some kind of pressure. Yeah. And you're back to Newtonian physics. Yep. And you're limited by the amount of force at your disposal. And the bad guys always have more because self-interest, selfishness is on their side. So it takes a miracle. Could be the 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 miracle of the heart. It could be a social miracle. It could be a, a material, physical miracle, a miracle of healing. That's the only hope. So when we exclude that from our picture of reality, we are actually insane. Or very, very sad. And I've met some of those people who've run all the algorithms. Yeah. They figured it out. It's all doomsday. Every, right. every algorithm runs into... Do their algorithms include extraterrestrial intervention? <laughs> right. You know, do, do they include... Yeah. Or, or, or yeah. massive spiritual awakening at a level right. that transcends what we believe is possible. Or shamans who can like manifest seedlings in their hand. <laughs> right. You know, or like right. all the stuff that, that Maladoma Somme talks about. Like, I mean, there's so much. I mean, you've read all these books, you know? Mm-hmm. Do their algorithms take that into account? <laughs> nope. They nope. can't. <laughs> they can't. Right. Yeah. So, so, if you're, if, so that's a form of insanity. And the symptom of that form of insanity is depression and despair. Yeah. And there are many other forms of, of insanity. Of like, if you keep out all of the bad stuff and only focus on the miracles, mm-hmm. that becomes another form of insanity. Right. Which is purely Pollyannish. Like, yeah. you know, God's going to take care of it all. We don't have right. to worry about a thing, you know, right. like, right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, so, so reality is held in community. It's held through relationship. So in order to hold a bigger reality that includes the pieces that have been missing, which, which, which is the, you know, for everything from ecosystem destruction to the, and the horrors that, that have been perpetrated on this earth to the most sublime miracles, to hold that bigger reality, we have to have ways to look at each other and say, do you see that? Is that real? Yes. Then we hold that bigger reality together. That's yeah. what the sanity project is about. Right. And so when, so, okay, to take it back to UFOs, say like you say, well, there's this secret unit inside of another slightly less secret unit inside of the Pentagon operating on Area 51. And you want to, to like prove this. How do you do that? Well, okay, here's some whistleblower stepping forward. But his records have been erased from the military's records, you know, like, how do you know that he is what he says he is? How do you ever pin it down? Ultimately, you're, you're, you you cannot escape from the, the realm of communication with each other Mm -hmm. and the group holding of a belief. Mm -hmm. And when you understand that, then you can understand some of the weird behavior of extraterrestrial craft mm-hmm. and extraterrestrial beings and, and missing time and the, the uh, sharp right angles that they execute in the sky in complete defiance of Newtonian kinetics. Right. Like, they, in some sense, they are not in objective reality as we know it. Right. And, and we will never accept them. They will never become real as long as we don't transcend the mythology 
the Cartesian-Newtonian mythology that we have inherited, the mm. mythology of modernity, because there is no room in that reality for them. Mm-hmm. And as I said before, that reality is breaking down. So it's it's almost like, as in a way, the emergence of Kennedy as president and the emergence of UFOs are both dependent upon the evolution of the field. Yeah. In, a, in certain ways. Yeah, potentially. And again, like Kennedy as president, which Kennedy is it going to be? Is it going to be right. his highest and best possible expression? That really depends on everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because each one of us contributes to the field that co-resonates with who this person is in objective reality, i.e. in our experience, in his intersection with ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we, we, if we prepare the ground by, for example by expecting and demanding the kind of authenticity you were speaking of earlier yeah, and the kind of humility, then it becomes possible. Yeah. And if we hold a story of cynicism, then we're not making space for that to mm-hmm. even happen. Mm-hmm. And we will get at best a diluted version of what a Kennedy presidency could be. Right. It's not up to him. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, that's, there's so many people who desperately want to have hope and desperately want to believe. And, and the people who actually, it seems to me, and I also kind of feel like you might have written about this too and might be informing my ideas and I can't exactly place it, but it's, it's this feeling of those who want to believe and want to hope the most are the most scared of it, you know, because they're the most, mm-hmm. they're the most capable of being let down the hardest. You know, and so when I see yeah. those people saying there's no hope, there's no chance, what I see is someone who's just desperate to hope, who wants to hope more than anybody else. Because they've been, been disappointed and betrayed. Exactly. And, and their natural spirit, they've been, they felt the pain of that disappointment and betrayal. Maybe it was with Obama or maybe it was with Bernie or maybe whoever was, is something out of politics or whatever, but they've been hurt and they've been yeah. wounded. So like, I am never going to fucking hope again. You yeah. know, listen to Dante's, with the wisdom above the inferno, abandon hope, all ye who enter. Like, that's how I stay safe. And it's this kind of like fear of hope. And, and I've, you know, really like the message that's kind of formulated through me is like, no, like dare to hope, like have the courage to hope again. And even if we that hope gets dashed, and even if we say, you know, I'm all in and I believe this man, and I believe all of this and you do too. And, and our hope gets dashed, the next time there's another one, we show up and we fucking hope again because it's the only hope we got is is to just to be willing to put ourselves up for the the crucifixion of our hope being dashed once again. It's like love. You know, if you get burned in love again, show up and just fucking love again. Hope is actually also an aspect of sanity because we can distinguish between uh, authentic hope and wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. Authentic hope is a premonition of a possibility, yeah. of, a, of, a, of a real possibility. The mind might not recognize the possibility, might not see the path from here to there, but you sense that there is a path. Mm-hmm. So hope is basically, you know, to, to accept that and, and to trust your perception. And not gaslight yourself by telling yourself that what you actually know is false. 
That's what cynicism does. Yeah. It's a, it's a form of, of self-gaslighting. Mm-hmm. This is another part of the sanity project. To, to, but then to distinguish what is an authentic premonition of a possibility that involves me. Because possible doesn't mean, well, you know, if you flip a coin 10 times, you could get 10 heads. It's possible. That's not what I'm talking about. Right. Possibility means that there is a role for me to play in making it happen. And that if I play that role, it will happen. It's up to my choices. Right. That's what I mean by possibility. So, so we have an innate orientation toward that. We can recognize when something's possible. And then cynicism says, no, 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 it's not possible. And then there's also wishful thinking. Yeah. Which is to pretend that something is possible when it is not. Right. Or usually it's to pretend that something is possible without my choice and my consciousness being involved in it. Yeah. That's wishful thinking. And so one of the things that happens on that path is if you're listening, there'll be some interesting synchronistic confirmation of really feels like God's source, the universe, the weaver, whatever, Wakantanka, I don't care, whatever you want to call it, but there's like a wink. There's a wink from the universe. And I'm actually gonna, I'm actually gonna pull something up. This is actually a text that I sent to Bobby. And this was the wink for me that <clears throat> that was really like confirmed that this vision that I saw um, was actually possible. So we finished the podcast. And again, I go into this journey and I see, I see him winning the presidency. I just fucking saw it. And I saw, and I saw how powerful that could be, you know, for all of us, for our consciousness, for the world, for our country, for, for people, for the story. I I just could feel it all and see it all. It just played out in front of me. So I sent him a message. I says, I said, you know, this is Wednesday, March 15th. I know this is going to sound wild, but after you and Aaron left, so I was there with Aaron Rodgers, who was hanging in and listening in on the podcast. I tapped into my connection with God slash source, which is my way through the medicine. That's my, that's my pathway, my bridge. And got an unbelievably clear message that if you run for president, you will win. Because he was still debating at that point. Yeah. He was thinking he was going to run. You will win. And then if you choose to run, I am to do everything in my power to support you in that campaign with all the resources, allies, and intention that I can possibly muster. So consider this a pledge of my word and my sword whenever it begins. And I put a little sword emoji. said, I really enjoyed sharing time today and having that podcast. Have a beautiful night. And he texts me back. He goes, funny, period. Today, for unknown reasons, this phrase came into my head. Give me a sword and some ground to stand on, and we will take back our country. Thanks for an amazing day, Halbury. Mm-hmm. And I like, because I could be crazy, right? And like, I could, that could be crazy. Everybody thinks it's crazy. Like when I said that he's going to be president, it was like, no fucking way. You know, like the consensus reality around me was like, it's crazy. But instead of actually the people around me, you know, saying and keeping me sane, there was like a wink from the universe at this early stage where I just, I don't always say, I've never said to somebody, I give you my sword. It's a very old thing to say, you know, like I have swords, but like, I don't use them. You know, they're just like, that's not, that's not my, that's not a thing I would normally say, but I, I was, I said that thing. And then he said that that phrase came to his, came to his mind. And it was just like this wink Mm -hmm. from the universe. Yeah. And I was like, you're on the right track, brother. Yeah. 
you know, and, and those things mean a lot when you're listening. Yeah. These, um, new realities that are held in community, they don't originate in community. Mm-hmm. They originate in the way that you described yeah. from the outside, from source, from God. Yeah. And in the commitment of community and the sacrifice for that possibility, the continued participation of God is summoned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the only way that it's possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you say he's going to be president, that was actually not a prediction. It was a prophecy. Yeah. The difference being that a prediction removes ourselves as agents. Mm-hmm. And it says, well, I've calculated all of the variables and I predict. <laughs> uh, right. 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 But prophecy includes oneself. Right. And fully recognizes the power that we have as participants in creation. Mm-hmm. So when you say you will be president, what you're actually saying is, I bow into service to this authentic possibility, which is not my wishful thinking. Right. I know that there is a path. Right. Maybe I don't know what it is. Right. But I feel the same, Aubrey. You know, I wouldn't be doing this on a lark. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm... Um, yeah, I'm making a lot of sacrifices to do it. And, well. and, and you know, yeah. I, I don't know what your story is with your political activism, but I'll be dead honest. I've never voted once in my life. Not a single time. Not a local vote, not a presidential vote. I've never voted. Now I've aligned with some, you know, like I kind of reposted some Joe Jorgensen stuff, yeah. you know, from the libertarian candidate. And I've, you know, been a couple of things, but like, that sounds pretty cool. I was actually, I was actually pretty stoked when Obama won. I was like, he's sucking seems like a good guy. He's a baller, you know, he's got a good crossover and, and like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I liked him. Yeah. But like, I've never, I, I didn't vote, you know, like I wasn't moved enough to do that. And so a lot of people are like, what the fuck, man? Like, you've never talked about politics. You've never cared or been anything involved in it. And people ask me that question all the time. And it's like, yeah, you're right. You know, I've never, I have never. And yeah. this, is, this is something different. And this has moved me into action that's actually a completely different path than my whole life has taken to this point. You know, I'm going to have to figure out what you got to do to register to vote. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not even registered. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it, then am I going to, I guess, I guess I register as a Democrat because I want to vote in the primary. I guess that's how it has to work. I'm I, just going to have to. I think so, depending on the state. Yeah. yeah, yeah so I guess yeah. I, and I would have, like, if someone said, someone said, Aubrey, in 2020, 2023, you're going to register as a Democrat. I'd be like, get the <laughs> fuck out of here. Yeah. You're, like, oh, you're fucking insane. But yeah, that's what I'm going to do, mm-hmm. you know? And, and it's not because of, and it's, again, there's something about, something about Bobby that also transcends and confuses the polarization of blue and red, of Republican and Democrat. Yep. And, and I think the media is starting to figure this out. It's like, what, what, he's, what, who is he? What, like, what is this? And it's, it's exactly that idea, I think, 
you know, one of the, one of the main campaign slogans that I've seen is heal the divide. We heal the divide by actually erasing, not erasing, but kind of blurring the lines that have created the divide in the fucking first place. Well, it's what, it's what we've been talking about here. Yeah. You know, it goes down to the, the way that we see the human being. Yeah. And, and practically speaking in the campaign, <clears throat> you know, what we're doing is looking at polarizing issues and asking what are the assumptions that both sides share? What are the common values that are not being said? What are the questions nobody's asking? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times, and this I, I get always uh, often a bit tweaked when somebody, you know, sometimes I help respond to press inquiries and stuff like that. And, and like, well, what's your position on this, that, or the other thing? But by even answering that question, you're accepting the terms that the question is asked in. Mm-hmm. And to resolve most of these, <clears throat> these, you know, decades-long tug-of-wars where both sides exert tremendous effort and the marker moves a tiny bit left, right, left, right, and nothing ever changes, we have to ask completely different questions. And use completely different language. Use I different mean, language. Like yeah. even the, you talk about abortion, right? And it's pro-life or pro-choice. Well, life and choice are both values yeah. that all of us hold sacred. Right. So by merely naming it, then all of a sudden you're, it's very confusing because both sides have a claim on, on their value. Yeah. And, and, and there's, you know, there's, there's deeply shared, almost universal moral agreements. Like almost nobody relishes the thought of forcing women to undergo pregnancies they don't want. Right. Almost nobody relishes the thought of abortions, you know, and, 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 you know, dead fetuses and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. you know, like, most people actually agree, but we are corralled into these warring opinion camps that, that meet an unmet need for tribe, for belonging, for acceptance by a group. So, so people wear the, their opinions on the prefabricated issues as badges of belonging to a certain opinion tribe. And it comes from I mean, the root, it's not a simple thing to do away with because it comes from the dissolving of community in our culture. It comes from the breakdown of our guiding myths that tell us who we are and how to be human. I mean, the, the, the roots of this breakdown are deep and the polarization is a symptom of that breakdown. So it doesn't change overnight. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that you know, if, if, if Bobby wins the, the election, and I'm saying if, not when, because it is a choice. Mm-hmm. And not only does he win, but what kind of Bobby, which version of Bobby wins? <laughs> right. What does the pregnancy look like? Okay, but the, the, the presidency look like. But I'm saying if he wins, it's not like things will be radically different in five years. In fact, on a superficial level, things may be worse. But what will be different is that we will have a sense that we have turned the corner. Mm-hmm. And that we've begun the re- return journey. Yeah. The return journey. We're, we're back on the timeline that was truncated in 1963. Mm-hmm. And we're much farther back than we were in the ensuing 60 years of, of war and lies. We have to, a lot of ground to make up even to get back to where we were in 1963. Yeah. But we will feel very different. Because we'll be like, it happened. Mm-hmm. We 
have, we hit bottom Mm -hmm. and we turned it around. And regardless of the infrastructure, which may be worse and and the social structure, which may be worse, there'll be a, a personal structuring of our consciousness, which will be, you know, extraordinarily better. Yeah. You know, because there'll be a sense that like, all right, like, like now we're, now we're on the, now we're on the move and, and there'll mm-hmm. be a willingness to accept the challenges that we're facing with a different mentality. People will have the experience of having opportunities to serve that are meaningful. Yeah. That's what a lot of people are missing. Yeah. You know, they have, they have all these ideals, but no easy way to express them that, that is economically supported and socially supported and even available. Mm-hmm. that is the most profound change that will happen. And the, the profundity of that change as it goes downstream through the healing that's available. I just did a podcast that went through the mythology of Guardians of the Galaxy. And one of the points oh, yeah. that we talked about was how each of the Guardians are radically traumatized beings. Mm-hmm. You know, parents dying, family getting killed, being tortured, and you're having your friends killed if we're talking about Rocket, and then sisters yeah. being pitted against each other radically traumatized beings, but they all align themselves to a higher purpose. Mm-hmm. And then they're able to, they're able to act and through their actions, they're still working through their trauma. They're still falling and making mistakes and getting overrun yeah. by anger where Drax, you know, goes and attacks when he shouldn't attack and rocket steals when he shouldn't steal. And all of these things are happening, but because they're affixed on this like higher purpose, they're able to actually work their trauma through mm-hmm. rather than just sitting in therapy in this kind of impotency yeah. where they're just working and not, not, to, not to shit on therapy at all. It's all important. But like the, the value of purpose, it's, you know, Sebastian Junger's thesis in Tribe, it's like when there's a real purpose, you know, when the bombs were falling on London and the Blitzkrieg, the mental hospitals emptied because people weren't crazy anymore. They, had, they were like, I got to go out there and help my yeah. brothers and sisters, I got to pick up some bricks. Yeah. I got to deliver bread. I got like, I'm fucking out of here. Like, I'm good. Yeah. You know, it's not like they just sent them all out because they couldn't care for them anymore. Right. They were like, no, actually, I'm good. Yeah. Like, let me out there. Yeah. Let me out there to help. And I think pe- we really radically underestimate like that power of purpose. And then that will sweep through as the real problems are exposed and as vehicles for us to like, all right, now we can take a stand and, and it will matter. You know, like our lives will matter again. And the other way is the opposite where our lives matter less and less. You know, where we have no purpose in our job. We have no purpose. We have no agency in the world. It's all, everything's controlled by the some NWO, some other organization. It doesn't matter. Politics are a sham. Like that is just a slippery water slide into depression and apathy and further psychosis. And a lot of that is socially constructed. You know, it's not like, like you were saying, you know, you can't just go into therapy and change all that. Going into therapy isn't going to change the economic incentives. Mm-hmm. It's not going to change the, the, the whole society that channels people into meaningless work or no work at all. Mm-hmm. This is really important that, you know, this is the shadow side of the self-help movement. Um, you're not fully responsible for the conditions of your life. Like that can be a very empowering teaching. You are responsible for the conditions of your life. It can lift somebody out of victimhood. 
but it can also um, feed this kind of self-blame where something that's not actually your fault, you take it on as your fault. Right. Um, and, and, and this is, you know, what politics is about. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it recognizes that, that individual consciousness and the system and the stories that surround us are mutually resonant. Each creates the other. So, you know, when, when the system seems frozen in place, maybe the best you can do is to change yourself, do your own work, carve out a little niche. Yeah. But that is not the situation anymore. Yeah. You know, now we have a chance <laughs> right. to, it's a crossroads. It's not an inevitability unless we make it an inevitability that the world is going to change. Collapse isn't going to save us. Climate change isn't going to save us. Um, uh, disclosure isn't going to come from the outside and save us. Uh, financial collapse isn't going to save us. Nothing is going to save us from the outside. All we are granted from the outside is a crossroads, a choice point. And the choice point comes in the form of that feeling, which could be a vision, but it's the feeling we've been talking about that we call hope. And, and, and when there is hope, we know what to do. Yeah. It's a vision of the future. Yeah. It's a vision of the future. So what would you say for people now who are listening they align with, you know, everything we've mentioned about Bobby. Maybe they're going to do some more research. Maybe they already feel in a similar way. And you're, you know, a lot closer to the campaign than I am. And I also, again, I'm politically naive. You know, I don't understand what, you know, what is even possible and what the, what the rule, I'm starting to learn what the rules are and how to actually support and how you can't support. And, you know, it's like, all it's a yeah. whole game yeah. in and of itself. Like, what do you see as, you know, and we've talked about a lot of the internal processes in the field and changing the field, but as far as like actions that people can take, like, what is the, what does his campaign need or, or what does Bobby need, you know, at this point? Yeah. I mean, you know, like there's the usual things of, uh, you know, sign up for the newsletter, volunteer, you know, make a donation. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think you need me to tell you that. And those things, those things matter, right? I mean, like you're yeah. in there and like for, for, I think sometimes people think like, oh, that doesn't matter. Like, and, and, and we'll get, yeah, we'll get kind of jaded. Yeah. Uh, um, th you know, they're, they're in addition to the practicalities of running a campaign, um, making a donation is also a ritual. It's a ritual that confirms to your unconscious mind that you actually do care about this mm -hmm. and that you actually want it. It's a kind of a prayer almost. Yeah. You know, you're making a sacrifice. You're making a symbol. Like money is, is symbol invested with meaning and value. Mm -hmm. So it exerts a powerful, like it's a powerful act, actually. Right. So I think that it, it you know, beyond the, the practical logistical level, it does bring you into, into the, the field of that possibility. It, it, um, 
affirms to yourself the reality of hope, mm. the reality that hope sees. So I think that that is powerful. And I would say beyond that, um, it's, I guess it, it's, it's the same thing. It's, it's to repudiate the lie that cynicism tells us that it is impossible and to trust that part that knows that a more beautiful world is possible. Mm -hmm. And when you trust that, you know what to do, you know what to say, and you hold the highest expectation for the candidate. Because again, if he wins, it is because it is, it is a manifestation of a shift in consciousness. And I'm talking about he as in the highest expression of what he is. Right. That is, it's not just about winning the election. It's who does he become as he wins the election? Right. And that depends on the field that we hold. Mm -hmm. So I would, I would say like my advice is to trust that, trust your hope. Don't gaslight yourself, mm -hmm. trust your hope and you will know what to do. Yeah. 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 Make contact, make contact with that part of yourself that, that really, and you'll feel a little, you'll feel a little fire that'll well up. And it'll bring up, it'll bring up the, it'll bring up in even sharper relief, the cynicism and the pain mm -hmm. because the, 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 the vision and the, the, the felt premonition of that more beautiful future also it brings into relief what has been lost mm -hmm. and, and how far away we are from it right? and how degenerate this world has become. You know, it's, it's just, <sighs> Stella, my wife, Stella was just at her 30th college reunion mm -hmm. and the college president spoke to their group, you know, said, I think it was 46% of the student body is clinically depressed. And then she uh, went to Knobles, this amusement park in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. We were, you know, my, visiting my brother. She took Carrie, our 10-year-old, to the amusement park. And she was like, almost every single person there was either obese or like, uh, uh, you know, injured or, or sick. Like there was hardly a healthy, thriving person there. Mm. And the food was all like, you know, just like this. Corn dogs. And yeah. And, and fried cakes. And, and yet the people there, I mean, they're still so much. They, they all brought their kids there because they love them, mm -hmm. you know? So like you can see the beauty of the human being, the nobility, the heroism that of life continuing to, to try to move yeah. back to reunion, you know, back to love and just the depth of our, of our condition here. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like we're in the sixth or seventh circle of hell. Mm -hmm. We, it, it is, I mean, you look at any of our systems. I was, I was, uh, I was speaking at the, uh, at a gathering of funders for the FLCCC, like frontline COVID something or other doctors, you know, I can't remember mm -hmm. the, all the C's are, <laughs> but, but, you know, hearing some of the stories of these doctors you know, like who had been successfully treating patients with ivermectin, zinc, vitamin D, vitamin C, et cetera, et cetera, and then being ordered by their hospitals 
to stop doing that and watching patients start to die in front of their eyes um, and or even like losing their jobs mm-hmm. for saving people. Um, yeah, I mean, just, you know, you don't need me to go through. This is, this is part of the data set of sanity to recognize. And then, so that comes up as part of the, the hope. And that's maybe one reason why people, another reason why, why they take refuge in cynicism. Yeah. Because it brings up so much pain at the human condition. And we got to bring it all in. Yeah. All of the magnificence, you know, and all of the horror. That's, that's what I call sanity. And a, and a deep sense of self, self-forgiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that's another key piece too, because, you know, maybe, maybe you were like, you know, championing, you know, mandates, lockdowns, the whole thing yeah. is one policy. Maybe you were championing some other political you know, some other political campaign that didn't pan out or some other idea. And you were really, there's a lot of momentum and reputation and, and, and consistency of behavior that you've really stood for. And it takes not only courage, but underlying that courage is the ability to have that self-forgiveness yeah. and be like, no, I, for, I forgive myself. You know, like I was acting as best I knew how yeah. at the time that I did. And now I learned something different. And the, the possibility of transformation is real. And with that is the ubiquity of, of self-forgiveness. Yeah. Like there's an ability to be like, all right, I forgive myself for, and even if it's something simple, like I forgive myself for turning a blind eye to what's happening. Cause we all do in a certain way, we all look away. It's, it's too painful to look at all the dark places of, you know, the ocean destruction. You look at one thing for too long and it's just, holy shit, you know, yeah. and something will catch your attention. Like the, the killing of fin whales in, in Iceland. Right. And you're like, what the fuck? This is, you know, yeah. pisses you off. But it's happening all over the place. You know, that lagoon where they they kind of corral the dolphins and slaughter them. You look at that yeah. and you can't even fucking look. And then there's the yeah. genocides of human beings. And then there's what's happening in Iran with women. And it's like, God, I can't even look. Like, let me turn on something on Netflix and not look. Yeah. And you have to forgive yourself for all of that and then have the courage to, to not look away. It's one of my favorite scenes from uh, Guy Ritchie's King Arthur is, you know, Arthur has just gotten contact with Excalibur. And when he actually holds the sword, which is a symbol of his full power, his potential to be, you know, to be the king, to be in his full power, he can't hold it. Mm-hmm. And the mage who's, you know, playing the role of that mage mentor is on the bridge looking at him and, and he keeps releasing the sword. And he says, don't worry, Arthur, like we all look away. We all look yeah. away. And, and it's this feeling of like, we've all looked away. We've all looked away from something personal, something larger, and it's okay. Like we can forgive ourselves and then still find that courage to step in, to hope, to dare to hope, to have that and, and move forward. And I think that's also key. Even if, even if you've vaccinated your whole family or whatever, and now you're like, what the fuck? I can't believe I did this. Like, it's okay. Yeah. Like, like, and we can help this process of self-forgiveness by forgiving others. Exactly. And where does Model forgiveness... It. Yeah. Like, and people, like, sometimes they're a little afraid of me because I, I was, you know, such a forthright uh, opponent of mandates and, you know, all that stuff. Yep. And so, and maybe they were on the other side and maybe they're wavering or maybe they've kind of secretly changed their minds, but they're like, oh gosh, you know, Charles must really... <laughs> hate me now, you know, or, or right. think less of me. 
And what comes to mind, you know, forgiveness is not an act of indulgence. That would be patronizing. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness comes, it's another part of sanity. It comes from accurately seeing the human being. You know, Jesus on the cross was reported to have said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Mm-hmm. In their reality, they thought they were doing a good thing yeah. by nailing this criminal, this disturber of the peace or whatever, you know, up to the cross. Maybe some part of them knew better, but they did not really know what they were doing. Mm-hmm. So we have to understand that, that like whatever people have done to themselves, to other people, to their children, whatever, to, to ecosystems, you know, to, 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 to anything. If I were in their shoes with the information that they had and the life experiences that they had, I'd probably do the same thing. Mm. Do I think I'm made of better stuff than them? No. So forgiveness is the, is the, is the consequence of actually seeing that in a moment. Yeah. It's a consequence of understanding. And if you don't have the understanding, then the forgiveness, you can try to forgive. But if you don't have that moment of soul-to-soul contact, where, oh, I understand, Mm -hmm. then the forgiveness will be fake. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, Tatva Masi, I am that too. Like, I see myself in you. It's the underlying principle from the Hawaiian kahunas of their Ho'oponopono, which is, of course, it's beautiful sayings, you know, like, thank you, I love you you know, please forgive me. I'm sorry. These things, but it's not that it's also actually identifying, identifying whatever malady, whatever pathology in that other person and finding it in yourself Mm -hmm. and applying that salve of self-love and forgiveness to that part of you and yourself. And, you know, the stories are that when you do that in the presence of others, when you, when you say like, I see that in me and let me forgive that part of myself, like it actually has a dramatic impact on the other. You know, because yeah. self and other are actually only separated through a mythology. Yeah. And and also some dimensional object of reality, but also a mythology, like it's connecting back to that that source field. Yeah. And that's that opens the pathway to, you know, and again, it, it goes back to those real fundamental things, which is really softening and and collapsing the 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 phrase that you you know popularized, the myth of separation, which is at the at the core of it, seeing like no, no, I'm, I'm that too. You know, like I've eaten foie gras. I have. It's fucking terrible. That's a terrible thing to do, honestly. But you know, this restaurant Uchiko, they make this foie gras sushi and they fucking caramelize it. And sometimes, you know, the, the, the homies get it. And I'm like, man, I didn't stop them. It's here on the table. I'll have a piece, you know? And it's like, fuck. And I, I still think about that. It's like, this animal was tortured. I'm eating torture. You know what I mean? And, and so I, I, you know, still keep that in mind. And I try to always source, you know, we have a, try to source everything from the most ethical standpoint that I can of animal that lived a life that was, that was true to life in a way. But also I've, I've in a way, quote, sinned and not because some Bible or some 
you know, God said that I sinned, but yeah, I'm, I'm a sinner too. You know, I, I, I not only ate it, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, like I get it. You know, I've done bad shit. Like that's, that's a part of it. And it's so, it's with that acknowledgement and that, that kind of saying like, yeah, all right, you know, we're all in the same field. We're all imperfect. We're all the holy and broken hallelujah. You know, they're all full divinity and full in depravity. <laughs> You know, it's all there and actually you can start to start to soften the edges about it and then just decide to to chart an even more conscious and, and evolved path. But it requires first the acknowledgement of like being a part of the whole milieu of quote good and bad and 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 then starting from there and then moving forward. <laughs> Charles, this is always this is always uh a highlight when we get to podcast together and uh we'll get to hang and go in the cold plunge tomorrow and uh, yeah. do the things probably have a pull-up contest as, as, oh, is, no. our, as is our uh, tradition i haven't haven't uh, <laughs> i'm not sure if i've improved since last time i'm not sure if i've improved since last time so we both might I've got be a lot less d- i've got a lot less weight to pull up so <laughs> I've, I've, been, I've been working on that part <laughs> yeah. yeah all this campaign stuff i've been like sometimes not taking good care of myself so, yeah. yeah indeed indeed yeah. we're on the we're on the campaign, you know, and the campaign is a commitment to a cause and, uh, and each in our own way. I do have some years on you though. That should give me an advantage. <laughs> you should get a spot. You should get like a couple as like a handicap for golf for sure. Yeah. But I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to take my victory <laughs> right. by the numbers. Um, all right. So, you know, we mentioned some things and again, like if you are going to donate, like I think your advice, make it sacred, pick a sacred number, you know, like pick something that means something to you. Maybe it's $333 or maybe what, I don't know, whatever, but make it like a, make it a ritual, a ritual of your commitment. And and it matters in the campaign. I know so many people involved in the campaign and I know that you guys are spending money in the best way that you can spend it, you know, and I, I really trust that. And yeah, the information and sharing the information, like all of that matters, but it can be a symbol, a yeah. symbol of your commitment. Well, th- thank you for, you know, I mean, it takes a little courage even to make that ask. People, yeah. it's always a little awkward, you know. Um, but I, I would just say, um, you know, I wouldn't even actually make it an ask. I would say more, um, just let the let the knowing of what it, what it is, which is a, a ritual confirmation of an authentic feeling of hope, if it is there. Yeah. And when that lands, then you will know whether and what to give. And if you don't feel that, don't give. Yeah. You know, yeah. like this is really about uh, deepening, deepening our, our trust mm-hmm. in, you know, a lot of the campaign has come from um, a rejection of a lot of what we've been told by, by the authorities about, you know, what, what is true, whether it's COVID or whether it's Ukraine, you know, or, uh, you know, civil liberties, like all of these issues that are centerpieces of the campaign. How do you know that what all of our structures of authority are telling you isn't true? You have to be sourcing something from within. Mm-hmm. So that's really what I want to encourage is, you know, if you don't resonate, then don't give. Yeah. You know? and if you do feel the awakening of the premonition of a possibility that we call hope that you can participate in, 
then that symbolic gesture will be powerful. Yeah. Beyond Amen. beyond the practicalities. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh the website is Kennedy24. Yeah.com. And then you have the Sanity Project, which yeah. you mentioned. Where do people go for that? Um, I guess my website would be the place. Yeah, there's a landing page on my website. I made a video about it. And it actually started a couple of days ago, but it's six months. So, you know, you're not too late. All right. Depending on when, we, <laughs> when you post yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, but there'll be, yeah. A, there'll be another one that starts up. What's your, yeah. what's your website URL? CharlesEisenstein.org. .org. Yeah. All right, my friend. Onward we go. Yeah. So much love to you, brother. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. And yeah. so much love to all you listeners. We'll see you next week. Peace. Thanks for tuning into this podcast with Charles Eisenstein. Appreciate you guys opening your hearts and minds to this possibility of this new vision of the future. As he mentioned on there, Kennedy24 is your opportunity to sign up for an email list or donate as a pledge of your own sacred commitment to that more beautiful world. Or however you want to go about it, whatever is emergent from your own heart, just follow your own internal guidance and do what you feel is right in these most exciting times that I've ever been a part of in my life and what I would only dream I would get the opportunity to be a part of, to be a part of a time and a place where our actions have cosmic significance. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We love you and we'll see you next week.